I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Crunching the Numbers on Progressive Precision Farming Payback, is being brought to you by Novatel. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it added here as well. And subscribing will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Novatel for their support of today's program. Novatel's GNSS receivers and antennas are found in the data collection, control, guidance, and steering systems of the world's top precision egg companies and vehicle manufacturers' products. Their TerraStar correction services provide submeter or decimeter accurate positioning around the world anytime. As the global leader in OEM precision positioning technology, Novatel customers rely on them to provide reliable, quality solutions that optimize farmers' productivity and efficiency that save time and lower input costs. Visit www.novatel.com or call them today at 1 800 668 2835. Well, data is being collected on an increasing number of farming operations, and for years, this information filled volumes of binders that often did little more than gather dust on farmer shelves. With the evolution of more sophisticated digital collection tools and the ability to wirelessly transfer data from the tractor cab to a mobile device, big data is finally moving beyond simply being a buzzworthy term in agriculture. John Fulton, biological engineering professor at Ohio State University, has researched the advancement of precision farming strategies from guidance and auto steer to the cusp of what he calls a digital evolution. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, Fulton analyzes the current adoption rates of precision technology in North America, along with the greatest potential to expand application of farm data to improve on-farm management and decision-making. It's a fluid time around data. Um, I'm just going to make this statement up front. I think as time and spacing commodity prices get a bit... uh, get tight that the more data slash really information we have at hand, hopefully we can make the, some decisions as it relates to inputs. And I'm going to also talk a little bit about asset management, and that meaning machinery, just some things around that. But I think uh, in this time, some of these data layers are very much more accessible today. Utilizing them is, is a value proposition. And I am going to touch on remote sensing. I think we're a little bit of ways to making that a consistent data layer or data layers to come in but it's evolving very quickly, okay? And I, I think it's important and just think about some of the things. I'm just gonna say that if you haven't heard me talk, we'll run through this real quick. What we're really talking about today is this kind of evolution of digital agriculture, okay? We're feeling those pains today. We've spent 20 years really getting technology out. We spent the last three years for some of you, maybe even on small farms, we've had a lot of transition machinery. Those machinery has technology. There's a lot of potential to collect data. There's a lot of potential to get into some of these others. But when I talk about digital agriculture, these are the four components of how I break it up. 
I think this is at least for me the best way to explain it. We've got precision ag and precision ag very, very uh, simply means the technology aspects of so the guidance, verberate, et cetera, et cetera, and some of those basic services that we've used since the mid-90s. Grid sampling, soil sampling, and we're just going to convert that to, to map. There's not a lot of analysis necessarily in that. I'm just collecting data and, and putting it through some kind of fertility equation. That's precision ag. When we talk about prescriptive ag, and that's really where we're growing, okay, and so precision ag, you know, I always tell people we have enough evidence that 70% of the acres in the U.S. today are getting touched somehow with precision ag. Prescriptive ag, again, we've gotten some recent data that's been published out. Uh, it varies, but it's very quickly growing. What you see and what prescriptive ag is is how I define that and differentiate that from precision ag is I'm going to have to supply some data to someone. Okay, let's just use yield data. That's the example. I'm going to give, you know, some kind of service provider yield data. They're going to process that. I'm going to work with them in terms of what I want from them. Let's say a prescription. They're going to basically, in a lot of times, give some proprietary algorithm to that, and I get a prescription or I get some kind of information back related to that data. Okay, and that's where we're at today. So when we think about the things like Climate Pro, we think about Encirca, those are the kinds of things that are evolving that I would put under the prescriptive ag and not necessarily precision ag. And then this enterprise ag I just want to allude to, I'm not going to go in great detail, but you see conservice, you see granular bringing, bringing this type of thing out. It's really using those first two pieces, driving some of the business, some of the asset management, some of the modeling that you can do. Should I have two, three combines? Should I add a grain cart? How should that look in relation to my, these uh, companies are, are taking some of those precision and prescriptive data streams and using it more on a, a field level basis. So I can get field level analysis, I can get enterprise level analysis, but it's really focused around the whole farm business. And then this whole topic of big data, we don't have that necessarily in most cases. We've got pieces and parts, what I call parts of the puzzle that we're beginning to build in agriculture. But big data is truly not what we see in things like the retail sector, okay, or a Google, some of those kind of companies. What we're, We don't have that set up in ag yet. So you kind of wrap that around both of these, but we're starting to see the convergence of this to talk about digital ag. So I just want to be clear on that. What I want to try and spend a little bit of time on today is really this prescriptive ag and just some ideas around that. This is what we've been promoting, um, and I don't say promoting, but this is what we see the future to look like in the very near future. When you really see what some of the investment going on in all these companies, it doesn't matter what type of company that they are, we see in the future as a grower, you could be interacting with eight, possibly even up to 10 very quickly organizations out there to get some kind of prescription, some kind of information back. Okay, we can talk a lot about this. This is something we, we deal with a lot. Here's just some examples, but these are things that are coming very quickly. I take some of our Ohio growers as examples. Um, it's not widespread, but the, easily they're, they're dealing with three different entities today in something like this. So could, they could be using a co-op to do fertility management, using yield maps to kind of do the removal, and that all goes into that decision. They could be using someone for the variable seeding that differs, and then you just could have someone doing something else. But there's very easily, I, I talk to guys in at least Ohio that's involved in this, that they're dealing today with three different companies as it relates to their precision ag kind of data. So that's kind of the future, but the, you know, talking about equipment today, and I'm just going to throw this out just to kind of give you some advanced thought on what, this is the planner I presented last night. 
this is what we used in, in 2015 in, in our, our program. Uh, we're going to basically repeat that this year with a, an updated planner. Uh, last year we had, you know, just to do multi-hybrid planner, you had to have two prescriptions, okay, just to keep that in mind. So I had to manage, or we had to manage two prescriptions, one for the hybrids, okay, A or B, and then we had to basically put a, a population prescription in. Those are two prescriptions. This year we, we can have the capability, we're going to be doing four prescriptions, and what I want to suggest to you, and I'm not promoting this, since we're at the university, we get to kind of play with these, help develop this, what are some of the algorithms. We very quickly are having six prescriptions that we manage on a field basis on that machine. Again, I'm not saying that's today necessarily, but very easily, most of you, especially if you begin to get into this multi-hybrid, you're gonna have minimum two. You could have three or four, depending on what you wanna do with some of your starter and your, your two by two, okay? Again, I'm not pro, but that's where we're at in some of this. And you start to think about some of the fertility, we think about some of the other things we might want to do during the season. It gets to be a lot to just try and manage on a field-by-field -field basis all the potential prescriptions that we have out there, okay? It's overload in some cases, but that's where we're at. I think we're at a point, in, in, and I'm going to give you an example coming up, just where how to data, how do we improve input efficiency, asset management, in particular machinery. The comment I would make today, if you're a grower, um, and we know that there's probably about 65% of the growers in the United States today that are kind of doing this, they're kind of sitting on the outs, on the kind of sidelines looking at some of this prescriptive agriculture saying, you know, I'm kind of interested in it, but I'm just skeptical or I'm just not confident. I haven't seen the value proposition significantly from others to, to say I want to jump in. But the point is, if you're thinking about it, you have, in my opinion, based on our research that we've done for the last uh, 12 years in this prescriptive side, historical data. So what you're doing today could very well mean and influence what you're doing in three or four years if you decide to get into some of this prescriptive. You've got to be collecting data. It's got to be quality, and I'm going to talk about that. But this historical data, and I'll give an example right at the end of this as, an, uh, as a recent example uh, of that. Three types of data that I, I think about, at least from a precision ag perspective, we can, we can add a lot more to that from a farm or what kind of data and what we define data as today. Agronomic, okay, and that's very simply, we'll just keep yielding as applied data at the forefront on that. That's what most people will, will characterize that at. There's this machine data. And, and specifically, again, I want to show you some of that, what we can pull off these CAN buses on these machines. Whether that's a, a tractor today, we're doing it on sprayers today, we're doing it on combines today, any of the machines that we're running in our program, we're, we're collecting this CAN data in conjunction with what we normally think of agronomy data. The question is, how do you bring that together? We can do that much easier today than we ever have. And then there's this production information. You, you can kind of slice this a different way, but those are the things of information, my notes and things like that, that may be of value to basically coming back and seeing what either variability or what some of that other data might be telling us. But can we bring that all, day, all, all together today in a simple fashion to be able to evaluate our operations basically at a, a field level? I don't think we're there yet consistently as, a, a, as an industry, but we're getting close on the first two and I'm going to give you an example of that right now. So going back to the planner, most of you have probably been or been exposed to the, the precision uh, planning stuff. You know, if you want to ask me what, what are some of the, the data layers I should be collecting today, I think there's a lot of value in this. We, we learn every day, every year, new things that we can draw and conclusions and things that we're going to change about what we do, even in our research.
We'll get right back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to again recognize and thank Novatel for supporting this podcast. Novatel's GNSS receivers and antennas are found in the data collection, control, guidance, and steering systems of the world's top precision egg companies and vehicle manufacturers' products. Their TerraStar correction services provide submeter or decimeter accurate positioning around the world anytime. As the global leader in OEM precision positioning technology, Novatel customers rely on them to provide reliable, quality solutions that optimize growers' productivity and efficiency that save time and lower input costs. Visit www.novatel.com or call them today at 1-800-668-2835. Reflecting on John's comments so far, he estimated that about 70% of all acres are being touched by precision farming at its most basic level. But he also noted that there is a continuing shift in farmers' adoption of a more prescriptive ag model to include collection of various types of field data and then working with multiple service providers to process that information. Fulton says that in Ohio, he sees farmers utilizing at least three different third-party service providers to obtain a seeding or fertilizer prescription or additional analysis based on collected data. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from John Fulton on his advice for recognizing quality agronomic data, along with some advice on how to collect good data. Talking about agronomic data, we've done this for years in a lot of cases. I'm going to give you an example of a, a, a field, soybeans, um, where we did split planter. We've done this for years, right? We fill half the planter or we choose planter passes and we go out there and strip the field up and we're just looking at A versus B, okay? Statistically, statistically, what I'll tell you because we rep this, that there's a, about a five bushel difference in that soybean variety of A versus B, all right? So generally speaking, what my, at least our thought was, I'm gonna plant variety A next year over variety B. Okay, that might be my decision. And, and that's pretty good. That's statistically, I, you know, I would agree with that. But the question is, is maybe there's some other data that we might wanna look at prior to making that profitable decision out there. This is a yield decision, okay? So taking the yield data, now we got this machine data I alluded to earlier, okay? This is an example from Farm Mobile. Um, you got other companies that are providing this. You can even go through some of your OEMs to get this kind of data. Machine data can, be, can mean a lot of things, but simply what I can begin to get, and you see a map in there, that's planning of 2015. This is the planner I showed you before. That's the, the case planner with the magnum pulling it out in the field. And I can get this on my iPad in my office, okay? I'm kind of an absentee farmer myself because um, Spending time in the office, we got students, we got staff to do a lot of our field operations. They do a great job. But I can always look up and I can see what's where they're at, what they're doing, and then I can see all these type of machine information. You kind of think about what you see on the dashboard or on the, on the display. All of a sudden, I've got to access to that anywhere I'm at in the world. Are they working? Are they not? But I can also bring this and merge it very quickly in that agronomic data. So things we look at, or at least from a machinery management perspective, I look at fuel use rate or fuel burn. Very quickly I can get that, I can get engine load, I can get horsepower, torque, those kinds of things in somewhat real time, 
okay, or collect that at a pretty high frequency. All right, everyone does this a little bit differently, but the idea is now I got some maps, I got some data that I can overlay with the as planted data, or in this case, I want to overlay it with the, with the yield data. Things that I can begin to look at, and this is just some dis distributions. Again, this is talking about some of the back-end analytics. This isn't something I suggest that you'd want to look at, but things that we can do for you, uh, and you're starting to see people do. This is planning. You see fuel use over here on the left. This is just an anhydrous application, and you see that distribution is bimodal, okay, very quickly. So we got some variation in what our fuel burn rate, and we can, again, go back and kind of look at what maybe caused that, soil properties, I'm sure that's part of it, terrain, slope, those kinds of things. We can do all that, but very simply what I'm telling you is, here's your fuel burn on average when you're actually doing the operation, and the median or, or, or mean of that is what you're doing when you're turning, okay? There's two different numbers there. If I'm concerned about field efficiency, true field efficiency or capacity, what that machine do is, does, do I want those far apart or do I want them closer together? You want them closer together. You want that machine doing that operation as much as possible, as frequently as possible, right? That's our goal. We, we, too much capital out there not to have downtime out there. So these are the kinds of things we can pull out very quickly and look at uptime, downtime, what our real fuel use as it relates to that field is today. Not necessarily what our average is based on, on the season. So I'm going back to example very quickly. I've got my yield data. My decision was I get a five bushel gain on soybeans. That's going to be my decision I carry forward. That's an agronomic, that's a yield decision. But let's look at what the, what the machine data started to expose. Hybrid A versus hybrid B. I was using 17 gallons an hour with A, but only 14 with B. Higher yielding maybe, that could be, but there's one more thing, green stem. Green stem soybeans versus dried soybeans. And if I take that data, again, I'm just averaging things on a, on a per field basis. You can see that from a bean perspective, they were the same moisture content. But from a real machine usage perspective, there's a significant difference that's going to probably hit your bottom line. Number one, definitely differences in, in ground speed. Almost twice we had fuel use, okay? And typically we would assume, if you go out to the literature, we're going to assume that to probably be 0 0.7, 0 0.8, 0 0.9. But you can see very quickly we're at 1.7. So again, using assumed data, a lot of times we might be over or under predict what reality is for a particular field. But look at this load. Because of the green stem, I'm at 86% load on average on that combine versus 44%. And some of that could be alluded to yield, but it was the green stems. I'm putting more green. I got to work harder. And so what's that going to hit? Not only is my field capacity jeopardize, but I would argue with you, depending on how you manage your combine, your maintenance costs are going to be a lot higher if I choose A. I didn't put any cost in here. I want you guys to do your own calculations, but does the five bushel gain in decision on that, based on some of this, do I begin to think about that a little bit differently? Harvest timing, capacity, yes or no? It really depends on how you manage your system. But all I'm saying is we can do this very quickly today with those two data streams merged. Much different look than having a yield monitor and averaging my yield or yield by soil type. It's a much different and deeper look into a field by field analysis. These are the kinds of data that I would encourage you to be thinking about. I'm not saying to go out and purchase. You really need to think about what you're paying for it. But there is value if you can get this down to this kind of level and analysis on a field by field basis. 
as, in my opinion. Some fields you're not going to see differences and other things you may learn a lot and make decisions a little bit differently than what you thought about in the past. Take that one step further. Here's our fall harvest. You actually see this field here in a little bit because uh, this is a multi-hybrid field. Uh, 1,400 bushel grain cart chasing a, a, essentially an eight row case combine. And what do you see? The grain cart pass on the left. You see the combine passes on the right. And all I'm suggesting is, as we think about this whole size of machinery, loading on the soil, conditions at harvest, if you don't have some of this, all of a sudden, definitely on the left side, just from the grain cart and the position of the, of the trucks, you're all of a sudden building some roads out there. To have that knowledge and carry it forward because could that impact next year's planning data I showed before, and could that impact your yield data, at least you have documentation to go back to this year, being 15, that you might carry into 16 and 17 as you think about some of your additional yield analysis, whatever you're doing in that field. But you see very quickly, easily, it just harvests 70 to 80% of that field's trafficked. It's a pretty high level out there. So those are the kinds of data just that, that we're, we're uh, collecting. We run this type of data on any of our machines that would stick out, whether it's for tillage, whether it's for harvesting, whether it's for planting, you saw that. And we're, we're seeing and trying to blend this and make it much more accessible, but build some analytics behind it to, to evaluate things. How can I improve my capacity, field capacity and things, but also have this as data sets that you can carry forward from an analysis perspective. So that's one, one question. We haven't talked about quality, but these are just things that, that uh, I see today that are accessible uh, to be thinking about it and just encourage you to think about. I think the real value comes is when we start to think about trying to not blend those two, but we blend the remote sense imagery in. I'm not saying we do this today very well. This is a bare soil image that was collected around May 7th. We're planting that field May 9th, I think. Just some ideas around this. In the absence of this historical data, this might be some things that really starts to drive your definition of management zones, for example. A couple things. We, I talked a lot about nitrogen last night. And the big thing we do not, and I did not hint on last night, is how do we give credit to uh, the soil biology, that, that, the, the, the mineralization aspect. That's hard, right? Because it's a very complex. It's temperature, moisture, uh, OM, CEC related. So there's all this that we're trying to understand, plus predict what our verberate map should look like because we can't credit. But I would say that we begin to see what the OM matter is. We get to see some things that are exposed that may or may not be in a yield map. That's all I'm saying is we think about what we want to delineate zones in that from a management perspective. So if I don't have a bunch of historical yield data to go on, this is at least some place that I could start. If you can capture this, this is conventionally tilled. I'll, I'll give you that. But I also will say that in this case, that's a thermal map on the same day you can definitely see some thermal differences out there. And just playing back 2015 when we planted, I'm not saying we'd make a tremendous amount of decisions that are different, but when we think about emergence and going out there and planting it, the thermal data might be in, very indicative of how we want to go or if we want to go out there because there's definitely significant differences in temperature differential of eight to six, nine degrees across that field. If I'm at 50 versus 60, in that top, that's, that, that could influence my emergence. That's all I'm saying out there. So here's just some data that, to think about. I'm a believer, and I'll hit on this again, on remote sense imagery. If you are interested in using it, there's a lot of, lot of potential there, but to think about cost. But I am of a believer today that you have to have multiple shots during the season, especially if you're going to use verberate like nitrogen. 
and you're going to use remote sense imagery to drive where and ground truth. You can't say I want to take one at B8 and it'd be out there at B9 and say that's the screen that I'm going to use. I think you're, you're, you could be, uh, just be cautious of that. We've learned very quickly that things can change and what you're seeing at crop respond and at crop health changes. And one shot typically isn't going to capture what you really want us to be seeing from a nitrogen perspective as an example. So we're getting pricing down. I mentioned this last night, I showed this. Uh, one thing I would allude to, and I sh we showed, we saw the, the uh, compaction as related to field cultivator. We not only have some of that from a planting perspective in this field, but we also see the post-app that occurred that influenced yield in this. And we have a research project in this field, by the way. Okay, again, a yield map's not going to pull this out. And if I'm trying to do some on-farm research, like I was showing you, hybrid A versus hybrid B, there's a lot of factors that influence yield, right? One problem is man-made error, man-made variability in the terms of compaction that influences soil structure in a lot of cases will influence results. And if I don't understand that, how can I really truly begin to explore how is the natural variability out there in my soils? I'm just compounding trying to evaluate things for my farm, whether that's a fertility practice, whether that's a fertility rate, that's a seeding rate, whatever. All I'm suggesting is it is very difficult to pull out some of this man-made variability. That's why I like some of the machine data to help at least explore, think about maybe how I should harvest that, especially if I'm doing a project in there. Because I'll tell you, those, the impact of those wheel tracks are not equivalent across that field. And if I average that in, I'm just averaging in more variability in terms of trying to evaluate what we're trying to evaluate in that field. Just some thoughts around that. I do think, and I've already mentioned this, when you're talking about nitrogen, I, there's a lot of value in, and again, it's a complex scenario, mentioned some of that last night, but soil type, soil organic matter, soil EC, and the growing season itself, those are, have to go into this decision as it relates to nitrogen. Remote sense imagery can help explore some of that in the absence of some things like nitrate sampling. That's all I'm saying. At least get out there and ground truth it with someone that, that's an, an expert in this. I think we can drive some of the VRN in season with this. This is an NDVI map as one example. There's some other veg indices out there. They can help explore how I can generate a prescription possibly if I'm in particular doing a late season application. When we get, do verberate nitrogen, at least in my experience at like a V6 stage, V4, V6, it gets very hard to see that to be consistently uh, a value, a profitable pro proposition. There's too many things that influence this yield after that. If we can remove and, and kind, of, kind of get those three applications of then, we get a little bit, see a little bit more consistency in a variable uh, program from a nitrogen perspective. But you got to have some of these type of tools depending on what you have access to. The big thing on remote sense imagery I want to comment is to be thinking about. What are you trying to do with the image? Uh, it can be overwhelming. And the big thing about remote sense imagery, I think that, that at least from a producer's perspective, is the accessibility of that image to bring it in and to generate prescriptions off of it. Some of these imageries, when you start doing multiple fields, multiple times, most of these companies are not giving you one image. You're going to get two to three images, and they're pretty good size. And you start getting that over a season, you get that three or four. You're not talking about three or four images. You're talking about 12, 15 images. And there's some management. It can become overwhelming. So do you have it accessible to you? Is someone there to help you if you're going to try it out, uh, do this internally? But it can become overwhelming. And so accessibility of the data is a big thing. That's why I said when we go back to the machine and agronomy, I can bring that to, 
data together very easily, but when I supplement it by remote sense imagery, there's a lot of man hours in to make that happen. So these are just my considerations as it relates to data today. I just present a little bit about where we're at and some of our experiences this year. I think agronomic plus machine data is, is something that you need to be considering today. I'm not saying to go out and buy it, but think about it. I think there's some value again at a field level. Uh, very easy to bridge those, but I think the future and really real value in the, the things that we're trying to do, especially since our yield maps probably aren't going to show a lot of variability I showed you in remote sense imagery. When we bring all three of these together and we make that simple for you, I think you're going to see a lot of value of that. And we make it at a price point that, that you feel like you want to pay for it and you see you cover that and more from a, from a value proposition for you. Thank you, John, for sharing your research and advice on developing a strategic plan for management and application of on-farm data. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank Novatel for supporting this Strip-Till Farmer podcast. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2441. And if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes or the Google Play Store, to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Striptill F-A-R-M-R and on our Striptill Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on August 17th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series. And be sure to follow us along at the Striptill Conference this week for updates and insights from our Strip-Till Conference going on in Omaha, Nebraska. For John Fulton, Novatel, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>